The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right, it's that time again. Back on the Sour Hour Brewing Network. Your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in lovely downtown Concord today. Beautiful day. We're, we're getting earlier and earlier yeah. every time we do this show. Taping at, uh, well, not taping, we're live on the app today. Yes, we are. Uh, at high noon here in Concord. 10, 12 past yeah. high noon. We're, we're, we're inching ever closer to the AM. Oh, man. I think... When when Rudy came in from Rodenbach, yeah. did we do an AM show? I think we did. I think it was 11 or something. It was bef- or even early. It was before we opened. Yeah, it was just whenever he could fit in his schedule. Definitely. So we were super I, I, down for that. Didn't he come straight from the... I think he came straight from the airport to the studio, if something I, if like I that. recall correctly. Yeah, I was just re-listening to that show, actually. It was pretty, pretty fun to have him in the studio. It was a good one. And actually, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this off the air or on the air, but his, his sort of handler, the lady that mm-hmm. was with him handling him, I, she, she surfaced recently a few weeks ago. She and my friend Mary happened to work together. Oh, okay. And my my friend Mary texted me. She was like, "Hey, the lady with Rudy," and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a small world." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're doing a little bit earlier. Why are we doing it earlier? Uh, I you? have to go do the Stones live stream tonight. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Cool. So that's Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, dude. And uh, no Bevo. She's mm-hmm. on her way up to Portland, Oregon. Indeed. For the HomebrewCon, hashtag HomebrewCon. Yep, she's got the broadcast computer, so no video today, audio only, as you mentioned a moment ago, and you will be not too far behind her, right? You're leaving tomorrow? Yeah, leaving tomorrow. My uh, talk on biggest mistakes in sour beer making <laughs> yep, is uh, Friday morning. Your audio's almost ready, dude. I've got the final cut. Like, Thank you. It's Thank almost, you. I almost guess done. I can just press play. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it has been fun. I've been going back, listening to old shows, and I will incorporate that into the presentation, and that should be a fun one. Uh, so let's see. If you want to talk to us, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, as we mentioned, listen live, Brewing Network app, search BN Mobile. Tonight's guest, Blake Tires from Creature Comforts. He's the wood seller and specialty brand manager. But uh, we're going to get into a lot of Creature Comforts, wonderful beers. And Can't wait. You know, as I was, I, my, my brain's spinning with how many shows we've been doing how many beers we've been making at the rare barrel and now i'm just starting to forget complete things and so i was going back and doing my research to build out my presentation for the homebrew con yeah and realized creature conference has already been on the show yeah, Blake joined us not as an official guest, but just for a moment yes. when he first sent us his kettle soured Athena, mm-hmm. which we do. We have cans of that again. It's been a, get a some couple years. Tropicalia, Tropicalia IPA no, also, maybe? No, not this time, but I do. But that, that time. Yes, that time yeah. we did. And mm-hmm. it really it stuck in my mind because it, as not a, a particular IPA guy, I've never been a big hop forward guy. That beer in particular mm-hmm. was one of the first 
or maybe like the biggest, most memorable, mind-blowing IPA where I was like, this is really incredible, and I could drink this all the time, and I finally get it. And I, I let Blake know as such when I when yeah. I had that beer, and man, it really it just stands out in my memory. It's, it's just really a cut above. Yeah, awesome beer, awesome people out of Athens, Georgia. So we'll uh, be talking to Blake uh, this afternoon. If you're not going to be listening live, you can subscribe to this podcast and leave feedback for us on iTunes or wherever. Review of the week. <laughs> this review okay. comes from Ed in Charleston. A five-star review from Ed. It's titled, Everything That Is Right in the World. Ed says, unlike the session, the Sour Hour represents all that is right in the world. I really enjoy the informative guests as well as the great insights on how to make good sour beer from day one. I've used what I learned from the show to greatly improve the results of my sour beer life. Thanks, Ed, for the awesome review. Ed didn't include a rejoin suggestion in his review. We had one, though, from uh, the Rare Barrel Instagram comment section. Oh, really? That was actually not a review, but just a rejoiner suggestion. Oh, really? What was it? I don't remember. Oh, I'll have to look it up. Okay, let's see. Uh, Rare Barrel Instagram. Mm-hmm. And while you're doing that, Scott, yeah, yeah. just want to mention that even though uh, Ed had some bad things to say about the <laughs> session, <laughs> we encourage you to listen You know, from time to time, sure. as well as uh, Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, Bikes and Beer, and Heads and Tails. All the shows are belong to you. All the BN shows, yeah. Sixth and Rain. He says on Rare Barrel's Instagram, rejoin suggestion, fall apart by maps and atlases. That that song title and band name, I don't know which is which, sounds like a Rare Barrel beer name. Yeah. Also, that has been, why does that sound familiar? Fall, I'm I'm searching my email now because that sounds familiar. It does sound familiar, doesn't it? While you're Um, looking that up, I'll remind you that on the last show was uh, the... Side project for Alvarado Street, the Sour uh, and Wild Ale Project, East of Eden. So go back and check out uh, JC and Andrew on that. Great show. Great beers. Great company. They came up. Uh, we're in studio for that. So that was an awesome, was awesome. time. Did Especially you, the poker game I was going to say, yeah. did you want to mention uh, the, the once we got off the airs when the night really began? That's that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I dominate. I dominate. I dominate. So that was the first official <laughs> hot grenade poker game that Jay has joined. And Jay mm-hmm. and like JC, well, no, JC didn't play. No, he, he hung out for a bit but he had to do fatherly things andrew did play his girl played as well uh, the only thing i really remember about the night is you just absolutely cleaning everybody out <laughs> you had all the chips at the end of the night you just ran the table over yeah i i, I might have crapped out and bought back in kind of don't remember but that but i covered two other buy-ins and uh, then when we counted out the money at the end i think i had covered the buy-ins plus like three dollars Oh, you were up, that was it. You were plus so just, three on the night? So just, yeah, paid for three games, which was You won your great. own money back. <laughs> yeah. Lots of good drinks and pizza, and thank you for hosting, Scott. Yeah, no problem. It was... Uh, it was a great time. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Can't and wait to do it again. I have to. I do want to point out that it wasn't. It wasn't like Jay was just uh, you know n- maneuvering his way and making awesome folds and great raises. I think you just won like a seventy dollar coin flip with like ten four. So someone had like ace king and you had ten four and you just somehow won. <laughs> I, I called on on a bluff. I don't know why. It was just gut. <laughs> yeah. But I had a beat with yeah like ten four. Yeah. Oh, I see. You picked him off. You yeah. thought he was bluffing and he mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Yeah. And I never do that. So I don't know what spawned me to do that, but I was like, this, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm going. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I don't know why I thought Maps and Atlases was uh, suggested already, but in any case, here it is. Okay. Is the beginning or is this the 240? Oh, he says 240. No, let's see. Uh, this is the beginning. I wasn't sure if it was 240. Yep. You like he? Yep. All right. This is my this is my style. So that's a uh, combination uh, review and rejoin suggestion from yeah. two different people. So Ed and Sixth and Rain, thank you, brothers. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Other things since the last show, went down to Firestone Walker Invitational. Great, great time down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. The, the RV back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back situation back worked to back out? Back-to-back-to-back, yeah. Always good. So we had the Brewing Network. We had uh, Society, the brewery. Yeah, it was, it was good times. So good to see a bunch of friends down there and drink a lot of good beer. And thank you very much to uh, Firestone Walker for being such generous hosts and just they're 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 the best brewers and that camp is just wonderful so now i seem to remember that speaking of blake from creature comforts there was mm. at some point a backstreet boys dance-off between you and blake is my mm. memory serving me correctly at the at the firestone invitational in you, front of mi- our, you might RVs? remember that but i do not nobody forget. else does <laughs> <laughs> did, did anything like the, oh blake's is chiming in no that was chris he says yeah ah uh, uh-huh. yeah maybe so, allegedly 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 right did anything like that go on this year no comment no comment no comments okay. gotcha yep so we're gonna about to open this. Uh, we I busted the cork off because it wasn't uh, coming out. I didn't. I just kind of pulled it and it broke. Whoops. Rheingeist Brewery very uh, generously sent us some metaphysical mango. Yeah, from Luke Cole. In, they're in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yep. And I have not been, but I know people who have. If I'm thinking of the right brewery, and I believe I am, and they just have the best things to say. Wonderful spot. So thanks a lot for that. And while we wait for the opener and for Scott to pour, I will also mention that I uh, got to hang out with uh, our friends from Side Project. So you might remember Corey coming on the show. Let's see. Yeah, show early. Two, yeah, three, like three. The, within the first couple, yeah. Something like that. Four, maybe. So we're working on a little collabo project with Side Project. So look nice. for that dropping at some point. Did barrels just get filled? Where are we at in the process? We're looking for fruit. And I'll leave it at that. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, also, this is not that much to do with beer, but went out to Vancouver. My first time ever in Canada. Ooh, there we go. That was a good one. Uh, yeah, what were you doing up there? Vancouver's awesome. Vacation. Oh, yeah, just a straight vacay. But uh, lots of good beer up in Vancouver. Where'd yeah. you go? Uh, let's see. 33 acres. They were very good. A World Beer Cup silver on their wall for their triple. And I like that one, but uh, I actually really like their Schwartz beer and many many other of their beers and then we also went to granville island yeah granville island brewing yeah yeah that sounds their right beer, their beer is everywhere yeah and that's it it was on the plane going up there um cool spot a really cool area lots of good food we went to a distillery over there too but just a really great city so uh i know we get a lot of canadian listeners and i know not not everywhere is the same but uh just shout out to everyone up in vancouver you have a beautiful city and the wonderful beer culture so it was great to hang out there and had a great time. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Vancouver's awesome. The cost of living rivals here us here in the Bay Area, and they're, I, they're famous for how insanely unaffordable that city is. It's crazy going in for the first time. I've never seen so many high-rise condos yeah. in, my, in my life. Yeah. And it's otherwise, like, you know, somewhat similar to Seattle, Portland, 
maybe a little bit less like San Francisco, but, you know, kind of in that Pacific to Pacific Northwest range. But man, yeah, there's just, I guess there's been a lot of money coming in to build a lot of real estate. Yeah. But you know, as much as the cost of living is, I don't, did you happen to have sushi while you were there? Did you get some sushi? We tried, but the night we were going to go was like Saturday night, so we couldn't get into any of the places we wanted to go. It's a bummer because the one thing that where cost of living is uh, incomparably inexpensive compared to everything else I've ever seen is, is the sushi. The mm. sushi up there is half the price, and mm. the portions of fish are twice as big. You nice. get these giant chunks of fish on these little balls of rice and everything. You, you expect the bill to be like 85 bucks. It comes, it's like 37 You're like, oh my gosh, I would move there just for the freaking sushi. That oh. sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Next, next time you're there, you know, 10 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> Make a oh, I'd love to go, go back. It's sushi. so close. It's it's a shorter flight than to Denver. Two hours, huh? Mm, Two fifteen, and what's Denver? Two twenty, uh, almost exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, go visit Vancouver. Well, we do have some of this uh, metaphysical mango in our it's glasses now. Did you get a sip of it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's it's uh, very effervescent. You and I both love that effervescence. Mm-hmm. As I as we sit here, Jay has in front of him, he refused the water <laughs> I, I offered him because he has his own crystal geyser sparkling water. You have hooked up the soda stream that is in the offices of the Rare Barrel. Mm-hmm. You have you have aftermarketed it to a industrial CO2 canister because of how yeah. much CO2 charging you guys do of your water around there. Yep. I'm the same way. I have a soda stream at my house. I, I almost don't drink still water these days. It's just carbonated yeah, yeah, across gross. the board. That's I gross. know. It's, yeah, yuck. <laughs> so the, I love how effervescent this beer is, but I wonder if Luke meant it to be this effervescent. I would think so. You think so? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it didn't, there was no like foaming issue. So that's, that's good. Yeah. I think this is a A plus beer. It's great. Very good. Great mango character. No off flavors. Really a, a terrific beer. And we really appreciate you sending it, Luke. Yeah. Hopefully there's some, it's, we're a little early in the, uh, the world headquarters opening. So hopefully there'll be some people out there to, uh, to share it with. Cause it's quite a beer i'm happy to finish it but absolutely yeah, yeah no we'll, it's a we'll early share. in the day so <laughs> yeah, yeah totally we'll go, we'll go share some with the staff all righty uh should we do a break and then bring on our guest yeah i was gonna say question but uh let's include blake on let's, the answers to these questions okay right? well we'll tease out maybe we'll tease out the question this question brought to us by dr lambic and his team at sourbeerblog.com check out their articles on sour beer blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home and now, the Sour Beer Blog crew is opening up a new brewery and tap room in central Pennsylvania. Check them out. Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. I'm going to read Sean's question. Sean White from Little Fish Brewing Company, our buddy Sean. Yeah. And he had some... Uh, well, he has a little bit of his own input, and he wanted to hear ours about the uh, category confusion at the World Beer Cup, mm. uh, how those categories are written. So I'm sure Blake has thoughts on it, too. So we'll get yours and his thoughts uh, after the break. Does that sound good? Sounds good. We'll right be on. right back on the Sour Hour. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Yeah. Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of home brewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and e 
Energy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. As you know, the Brewing Network Studios are in lovely downtown Concord. Yes, they sure are, Jay. <laughs> I just wanted to ruin your excellent uh, transition. No, yeah. I, I didn't have anything after that. So, <laughs> uh, Listen, hey, all of you guys out there that uh, either are thinking about starting breweries or brew pubs or you have one and you're looking to expand, the city of Concord, our home, it's really a welcoming place to start or grow your business. And, you know, I mean, obviously I have a ton of personal experience with that mm-hmm. because we have a spot here in downtown Concord. Concord has grown and the downtown has gone from cool and a beautiful park but you know some vacancies to like truly thriving in the f- in the 6 years I've lived in Concord and mm-hmm. in the 3 years 4 years almost that uh, the brewing network studios has yeah. been here. It's really been cool to watch it grow. And so, uh, anyway, the city's economic development staff are looking to grow the city's craft beer scene even more. It's a central location, Concord is, for the Bay Area, which is obviously economically thriving. Uh, really, Concord is an ideal location to, to start or expand what you got. So, uh, Brian is his name, Brian Nunnally. Give him a call, 925-671-3018. That's 925-671-3018. He would be uh, more than happy to talk to you. Give Brian a call. Yeah. And do you say Bart accessible? more than that. It's true. I did not mention it, but that's an excellent point. Yeah. We are uh, just a couple of blocks from BART, which is a major uh, light rail. Mm-hmm. Having a brewery or a beer spot by BART is a big deal. In fact, you can look up beer by BART. Beer by BART. <laughs> it's its own thing. Yeah. yeah. People do not give mm-hmm. a second thought to living in Concord and working in San Francisco, working in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it's because yeah. of things like BART, and it's because of, well, the insane unaffordability of housing in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. but uh, Concord is still on the far end of the affordable scale for the Bay Area. For sure. Uh, And it's a great spot to have a business. Uh, The Hawk Grenade and the Brewing Network Studios um, has really enjoyed being here, and the the community has been very welcoming. So anyway, food for thought. Yeah. Speaking of welcoming, Scott, let's welcome in our guest, Blake from Creature Comforts. Blake, are you there? Uh Uh-oh. Blake, you there, brother? Sorry. Oh, there we go. There? Yeah, we're here, dude. <laughs> like I a... muted my microphone so it wouldn't make any noise, and then I forgot to unmute it. I appreciate that. You know how much I appreciate the That's hell out of that mistake. Move. Yes, it is. <laughs> that was for you, Scott. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. How's it going, man? Hey, good. How are you guys? Doing great. Uh, got to see Blake just a, just a few weeks ago, short weeks ago, in uh, Paso Robles at Firestone, and he hooked us up with a lot of creature comfort spear, so I was a I was a happy guy out there. So thanks again for that, Blake. Yeah, of course, man. Let's do a quick little history lesson here as far as creature comforts and the brewing network. My first communication with Blake was back in February 2015 when he sent me an email about Georgia Beer mm-hmm. uh, in needing needing every, the beer community's help because w- Georgia wouldn't allow breweries to sell their own beer. Blake, isn't that right? Yeah, we cannot sell beer in our tasting room. Is that still true? 
No, we got that law changed. All um, right. As of September 1st last year, we are now allowed to sell beer uh, for consumption in our tasting room and also to go. That made a little difference in your bottom line, right? Oh, man, it was a huge change. I mean, for us, we, we definitely built our business around the distribution model because it was the only option for when we opened. But now um, we, we definitely have a lot more options as far as the way we can uh, present the experience to the guests and when they come in. And it's been awesome. I remember doing uh, some beer news on it back when you first contacted me about that. Uh, and then a couple of months later in April 2015, you sent in some of your Kettle Beer examples. after he- Was it after hearing Chris Johnson on the show? and being like, hey, that's what I do. Yeah, I think so. I knew, you know, not many people were talking about how to do kettle sours, and we do one year-round in a can, and we have been for several years now. So I was like, yeah, we can can certainly chime in on this conversation. So, yeah, send some out to you guys. Yeah. And there there (laughs) is some. I'm really really stoked. I haven't had this beer in a couple of years, I don't think. So thanks for sending it in. We're going to pour it right now. Before we dive into that, but while you're pouring, Scott, we do have to finish up on the question that we teased. Yes. Before the break, and I'll take that can. Yes, you will. You look that uh, back. Up. So true. All right, so we'll go back to the Blake history in a moment. Uh, I like on the Athena can while you're looking that up that on the the marquee of the theater it says playing tonight, and then the first line is lacto, second line bacillus. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, let's see. So this is a question from uh, Sean, our buddy Sean at Little Fish Brewing Company in Ohio. So Sean says, uh, I have a question about the American Sour Ales ca- uh, beer category. And that's the category you, you meddled in, right? Mm-hmm. It is written very confusingly to me, and it seems like it is rife with pitfalls. It kind of sounds like the category was made for kettle sours, but like it can have Brett, but quote, no Brett aroma or flavor, WTF. And it can be aged in wood, but there shouldn't be any wood flavor. Uh, it just seems like this is a chance for automatic disqualifications from the judges. I guess it didn't even occur to me to enter that category for those reasons. But looking at the winners, I doubt that any of those beers are kettle sours or stainless steel fermented entirely. So what are your thoughts on all this? Seems to me like the style description needs more clarity. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but uh, why don't I let our our guest do some speaking first. Blake, if you have any thoughts, if you looked at that category at all. Oh, man. We, We look at it every time, and we've entered it a lot, and we've gotten a lot of feedback that says, oh, man, this would have meddled in this category, but in this category, we get this one flavor, so it's not applicable um, so we get DQ'd so I would definitely side with Sean here and ask Jay because Jay you're the one who wins medals (laughs) (laughs) quickly Blake have you entered this category at all yet we have entered uh, we won our first year open we won bronze in the American style Brett beer but we have not won a medal since then so I don't I'm at a loss I don't know what to do either so this category, it's actually changed a little bit in the last couple of years where they changed that line about Britannomyces. So before they said, no Britannomyces character. And I'm not sure what, if Sean is quoting from the text or not, but... It looks like it. He, it's quotes are around no Brett aroma or flavor. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's not, to me, that big of a change. Basically what they don't say is like, you can't put Brett beers in here or you can't put Oak Age beers in here. They're just looking for no character. Like, we don't want to taste those in this beer. We're certainly not getting that much more Oak character, but we're driving more Brett aromatics into our beers uh, lately. But in the beginning, yeah, all of our beers had Brett. They all got aged in Oak barrels, but we used neutral Oak, and we didn't encourage the Brett as much as maybe other breweries. So I agree. Essentially... This category could 
uh, be an umbrella over both kettle sour and barrel aged sour beers that didn't have those characters in them. It's it's a it's a tough spot because I don't think the Brewers Association is interested in writing a lot of process things into the uh, style guidelines because how are you going to taste process? Um, now these, you know, you could say, okay, well they tried to do that, but they're just saying like no character from these things. So it is a little bit of an open category. If you ever read it too, it's like very light to very dark, very low in alcohol to very high in alcohol, like no hops to like a high amount of hops, some fruit, lots of fruit. Like it's just kind of a catch all. Now we're, we are spinning off more distinct sour beer categories, but after a while, I think this is going to kind of just come to a head and we're going to have to split off somehow uh, and judge a beer like Athena, which we're drinking now, mm-hmm. as as different from, you know, the like a rare barrel, you know, forces unseen or something like that. And that's not to say either is better or worse, although I'd say I love Athena. It's one of my favorite <laughs> beers in the world. Very so good. that's that's my take on that. But, you know, there's got to be some way to have these judged separately. But then again, you know, there's plenty of breweries that have that enter categories the way they're written, even though they might call it a different style at their brewery, basically. And that can go from, oh, this is a simple distinction. Like, you know, Scott, we were drinking this uh, Irish dry stout Mm -hmm. earlier, and I remarked how it was very porter-like. That's the small distinction to a large distinction, which is like Sculpin IPA entered as like Australian pale ale or something (laughs) like that. Um, So... There's a lot of gray area there, and I agree that clarity, it needs to be addressed. The good news is the Brewers Association is open to that, and hopefully throughout a lot of the conversations that sour brewers are having and also through the uh, Sour uh, and Wild Ale Guild that we're starting to form, uh, we can start to make some progress on that. That's that's the hope. So there's a little long-winded, but that's the category I look at every time, and I'm basically just waiting for them to change it so I have to enter another category. <laughs> but we, we also don't have beers that have enough Brett to, you know, beat Blake's beer and Brett beer. So you kind of, you do need to stand out. You need to have something that's distinct. You got to imagine like there's so many more breweries now and there are so many more entries that you kind of just have to be kind of different. And I think Guava did well because the beer was well executed. It was very Guava-like without being, you know, too crazy, overly fruited or too sour or too guava stinky and it didn't taste like wood or bread no definitely did not so that's the background on that but i agree that clarity is needed i'd rather i'd rather not enter that category to be honest even though it's <laughs> treated us very well yeah i was gonna say you know we, we entered the belgian uh red brewing category and and got a bronze for our shadows of their eyes so i like the other categories i'd rather enter four different categories but there kind of is a catch-all for sour beer right now, and that's what our beer fits the best. Well, thanks for bringing up the topic, uh, Sean. So back yeah. to the uh, history lesson with Creature Comforts. That was, we're, we're in April 2015. He has sent us our the kettle-soured Athena. And then in October of that year, Blake and the crew came out in studio, did a little California trip, and did mm-hmm. the session. 
How yeah, was that? That's right. It was uh, Adam and I came out there, did the session. Uh, that was the first time I think we came by the rare barrel too. Uh, the only time, and met you guys. How well do you remember it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the session or the rare barrel? Yeah, all of it. Oh man, it was awesome. Um, we opened. We just had our four-year anniversary uh, in April, so we were very young then um, as a company. And to get out there and meet all those folks, we hung out with Jamil. Then he gave us an awesome tour around. Uh, we got to go to the Rare Barrel, meet those guys, and uh, then doing the session. Like the whole thing was just super, super cool for us. And it was one of our first exposures to meeting a lot of West Coast brewers um, and the hospitality that they all showed us. It was awesome. Really, really cool trip, actually. Yeah. Right on. And now three years has passed, and you have done some Firestone Walker invitationals, and uh, you've just uh, blown up generally. So here we are now <laughs> in 2018. We've had a good run. It's been we've been very fortunate. So when it comes to uh, beers like Athena, and I know you guys are doing some some barrel beers as well. What what has changed since the last time a lot of the the brewing network listeners have heard from you? Yeah, so quite a bit. We've grown significantly. I think. Let's see. When was that? Did we say it was 2015 when we were out there? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we've probably hired about. Uh, 40 to 50 people since then. Wow. Uh, we've built a second production facility location. We are now building out our planning phases of doing a little bit more with our uh, wood cellar and specialty program and getting more volume coming behind that. I mean, our world our world has changed a whole lot, to put it short. That sounds like that uh, that third expansion is kind of uh, right in your wheelhouse. What's, what's that gonna look like? Yeah, that's really exciting. I think right now, We're kind of looking at a more short-term-ish solution uh, and then keeping uh, some options open for long-term. But right now, we're taking a look at how we can readapt our current or our oldest brewing facility because we just built a new brewery. So the new uh, one we currently I'm sitting in, the one that we started in, um, freed up a lot of its production capacity and we just don't need as much warehousing space and as much fermentation space. So what we're looking at is converting a part of our warehouse actually, putting in some new floors, drains, um, some larger oak vessels and some stainless tanks, um, getting a bottling line in here, just kind of making it so that our production can ramp up a little bit. And we'll, we'll keep our small wood barrels as well and also all of our whiskey barrels. This just kind of gives us uh, some more room to do more fruited projects and more projects with like local uh, produce as well as making out larger volumes of mixed fermentation beers that we can put out into the market on a more regular basis and bring the price point down and make it more accessible so people can regularly count on certain brands being in our, our tasting room. Gotcha. And what what is like the kind of barrelage breakdown between you know, kind of more the the stainless side sours like like Athena, versus what the vision is for the for the, for the barrel age program. Let's say by the end of this year. So yeah, Athena has been a, a year-round core beer for us since the very beginning, and actually. Right now, on average, Athena is the number one seller in our tasting room. Uh, We do a few things in our tasting room to support that as well, where we'll have local farmers or um, chefs or people around uh, make, uh, using local ingredients, syrups like you would traditionally find in in Germany, but we just adapt the flavors to be more seasonal to us. Um, So we've got a few syrups available in our tasting room that you could add to Athena, and then we do fresh juices as well so you can do like an athena mosa as we call it mm-hmm. and so that's always available in our tasting room and we also put athena in six packs and, and distribute it out so i think right now we're brewing around i think we're doing around 170 barrels of athena a 
month or maybe it's 340 of Athena a month. So we're making wow. quite a bit of it. And then on the other side, you know, we don't really have volume goals where it comes to the wood seller. Um, that's just more about time and mat maturation, but I'm also uh, wanting to get it to be a little more robust. So I'm, I'm starting to develop some volume goals just for myself uh, to kind of push it around and, and see what we can create. So by the end of this year, we're hoping to bring in maybe around like 330 to 40 hectoliter wooden vessels, probably a few more 15 barrel-ish stainless tanks. And then that will bring up the our cellar. That would, that would almost like double or triple our current dedicated cellar space to that program, which means so we can have a lot more 750s coming out on a regular basis. We currently got about 50 whiskey barrels-ish and about 50-ish wine barrels that support like our high-end brands and things like that. Awesome. Focusing in on Athena, which we have open in front of us right now, you and I, Blake, have talked about kettle sours on different occasions, and uh, you know, I've I've talked about it a lot on the show, and maybe maybe come across as a kettle sour hater to some people. I don't know why, but uh, have people told you that? Yeah, that that's what they think you mean. Yeah, I, I have heard that, which I am always kind of surprised about because, well, to be to be perfectly frank. The first thing that pops in my head is like, what? No, F that. I love Athena. <laughs> <laughs> this is your go-to example of like, oh, no, it can, they can be quite good. It's my, it is, it is my favorite. I love it. So how, how can we spread your guys' techniques, spread the knowledge? What are some of your keys to success while you're making this beer? Well, thanks, Jay. Really appreciate that. Oddly enough, I think California has this weird constituency of a lot of Athena fans. So we, we really love you guys too. Um, <laughs> But there's a few things I think we do, and I've listened to a lot of the show as well, and and really try to, we don't do too many, way too different things. The main thing is um, how we avoid oxygen. I think that's a, a big piece of it. Um, so we'll do a boil before and after acidification, and that boil pre-acidification not only sterilizes, but degasses our wort. That helps out a lot. We use a house lacto strain that at this point, we started off with two different lactobacillus strains, and now uh, we actually uh, have a microbiologist slash geneticist on, on staff who's run some samples on it. And it's actually now morphed into our own lactobacillus strain that is, I don't know, we don't have a name for it yet, but it's just our house lacto. And it, it works extremely quickly. It's been readjusting as we moved it to the new brew house. And, and kind of readapting to its, its habitat. But uh, in our old brew house, we would go from about a 4.8 to a 3.45 pH in around five hours. And I think that rapid acidification really helps the uh, wort not oxidize. It really you know, keeps some fresher flavors in there and makes it where it's tasting really good. And then we'll bring it up to boil. Uh, denature all the lactobacillus and kill it off um, and then we'll just move on our merry way basically from there yeah I think those are the key parts I don't know if there's any other magic behind it besides that um, I could definitely break down the process step by step but that's that's basically it it's just purging a whole lot uh, we've got a slide gate on our kettle stack and we've also got um, a, uh, a lot of purging we do before and after we use it Gotcha. Yeah, I think what makes that process pretty distinct from from my memory of other people's uh, processes, and I hope you're 
Okay, it sounds like you're going through a meat grinder in the background, but... Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. The, the, we just have a door here that got open and closed. I'm good. I'm good. No, that's okay. It's like an airlock in a spaceship. Yeah, we have, we have the same one. So we have a door that opens and closes, too, that I hear from time to time like when that? I listen. Okay. Sometimes, but yeah, so that's okay. But, uh, yeah, that really short time, I think that that's a big key because it is, it's hard to keep the wort away from oxygen, so why not solve it in a different way you know maybe you don't have you know the the perfect kettle stack or the best way to have co2 purges or whatever the time to do the double boil on front end and back end what if you solve it on the end of hey let's make this lactobacillus strain as strong as possible so that it sours very quickly and so you know a lot of people are doing 24 hours, 48 hours, sometimes maybe in a longer circumstance, 72 hours, well, you're taking one of those multipliers out of it if you can sour it very quickly. So I th- to me, that sounds like a kind of a, a unique part of the process. But, you know, you, you said you've been listening. So do, you, do you think that's kind of a little unique to, to you guys or do you find a lot of brewers are doing that? No, I think that's definitely unique to us. And the unfortunate thing is I don't have a whole lot of recommendations on how to achieve that. Uh, I think what is really beneficial to us is the frequency in which we're making Athena. Before we built the new brewery, we were doing 60 barrels a week every week. And by always having our lactobacillus strain basically being as healthy as your yeast would be pitching into a normal beer, it really made it so that it was ready to go off to the races. Um, Even before we got to that point, we noticed when we first started up that if we, you know, took a few weeks to get to the next batch or something like that it absolutely had an effect on how long it, it took to acidify and so really it's the fact that it's a free the frequency of it and the fact that it's a year-round beer for us only helps us out and the kind of momentum to carry it and keep that that taste where it's at what about any problems that have come up from time to time with athena production i mean you're making so many batches and it sounds like the more you make the better it is but what about those times where you have to wait a couple of weeks or maybe you know you didn't have your purge quite locked in what flavors are you looking for and what have you seen crop up when you when it's kind of an undesirable thing well so we've got a tasting panel that we do twice a week and we've got around 40 trained tasters that we put through a 10 week training course and so our staff will come in and taste athena basically on a weekly basis and we've all kind of identified what we consider true to brand for those flavor profiles that we see in athena and i think those are the biggest things we see as a shift as far as what happens from batch to batch in athena is going from we kind of see a spectrum i think from kind of apple cidery to a more like white grape Sauvignon Blanc character. And right in the middle is kind of the sweet spot we target. And we get this nice brightness out of it, but it, you know, I think the apple quality tends to associate with a little bit longer or more oxygen exposure time, um, where it, you know, it just kind of gets a little, I don't consider that flavor as bright, I guess. But then we, over the over the years, we've definitely seen, um, we had to battle some sulfur problems for a little while. Uh, I think we just made, we made some minor adjustments to kind of clean that up pretty quickly what were those uh, minor adjustments to get rid all of the we did was change our temperature which we cast into the fermenter down by two degrees that's mm. it wow and it didn't it, we didn't land there immediately but I'm lucky uh, i work with i can't speak highly enough of our brewing team um and it kind of starts at the top with adam our brewmaster he's a very 
uh, smart, science-driven guys. So when we make adjustments like that, it's we limit the amount of variables and try to make an educated guess based on research, and then try something, uh, follow up with our tasting panel. There's a non-biased panel to see if those adjustments worked or not, and if they do or do not, then they go back and change another variable or lock in the one that worked. So it's been an awesome thing to get in the habit of, uh, because I will tell you prior to brewing here, that would not be my first instinct, <laughs> but it's been pretty good. Yeah, it's an awesome process, and it definitely translates into Athena and, and also into Golden Door, which we want to get into, but we want to take a quick break first and scott yes. thank one of our sponsors before that wine and hop.com yes. locally owned and operated for over 40 years that's old it's a long time most items ship within 24 hours and bn listeners get a flat eight dollar shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds should you rewritten this <laughs> <laughs> enter bn shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart discount will be taken off after you check out and hey, Madison residents, yeah, Wisconsin, uh-huh. order your homebrew supplies online at wineandhop.com, and then I know what you're thinking. They're going to ship them. No, pick them up what? at Working Draft Beer Company, oh. which we had some of their beer on. Was it the last show? Yeah, we did. Yep. When we weren't drinking Alvarado's beer? Yeah, yep. <laughs> when we had all the beer except Alvarado's. Yeah, they're located on uh, Wilson Street. Oh, yeah, Wilson Street. Yeah, right across from the right park, across Right across from uh, Central Park. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you, you know sure, it, Scott. Of yeah, we'll waive the shipping and give you half off your first beer. Can't beat it. At Working Draft. So visit them, wineandhop.com. All right, quick break. We'll be right back with Blake on the Sour Hour. Brewing Great Beer is a process of continuous learning, and the best books on every aspect of brewing can be found at Brewers Publications, with more than 50 awesome titles like Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles by Ray Daniels, American Sour Beers, Innovative Techniques for Mixed Fermentations by Michael Tonsmeyer, For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture Culture of Hops by Stan Hieronymus and Radical Brewing Recipes, Tales, and World Altering Meditations in a Glass by Randy Mosher, plus many, many more. These are the books and the authors with the knowledge to push your brewing farther than you thought possible. And you'll find them all at fine homebrew and book retailers everywhere. And visit the website at BrewersPublications.com. Brewers Publications, all the best on beer and brewing. This is Blake from Creature Comforts. You're listening to The Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I want to get a little meta. Oh, look at that. That is Inception. <laughs> Welcome back. It's The Sour Hour. We are indeed here with Blake from Creature Comforts. And we've got his beer, Golden Door, appropriately opened. Nailed it. Perfect. I'm starting to read the back. And... Uh, there's a quote from my favorite George Washington, George Washington Carver. Can you tell us a little bit about this beer, Blake? Yeah, absolutely. So to start off with the quote, because we're talking about it, you know, Cezanne's always had such a tie to the land around them and agriculture in general. 
we wanted to figure out how we could honor someone that uh, definitely played a part into the agriculture of the South, and George Washington Carver certainly did that, and we just thought it was uh, an awesome thing to do. Uh, in general, we, we do a lot of beers named after the creators, the thinkers, inventors, and artisans, and uh, he was an awesome one to uh, throw in here. So I think the quote, if I remember correctly, is uh, education is the key to unlocking the golden door of freedom. And certainly uh, the gravity of which that speaks to us is, is pales in comparison to the gravity which it spoke to George Washington Carver. But it was awesome for us to be able to take a beer like Golden Door, where I think that the simplicity of that beer and the execution of that beer was something that we definitely weren't, would not have been able to do when we started up this brewery. But over time, we kind of learned how to get out of the way a little bit and let the beer uh, come through and be what it is. So that beer is a very stripped down recipe that it really has not much of anything in it. And it's a very good representation of what our mixed culture does in French oak barrels, uh, where it rested for about a year. That's awesome. Great beer. And I, you know, you, know, you say it's simple or stripped down, but man, it's good. There's, it's, there's a lot of complexity in simplicity. Maybe that's an oxymoron. It kind of reminds me of I think one of our another one of our first shows called back to uh, Tim Clifford from Sante Adarius, who he was always into. You know, he had the, the simple recipe and execution, and then just you know, we're, we're kind of letting the mixed culture do its thing. What? How would you, before Scott and I, lavish you with just praise instead of uh, flavor descriptors? <laughs> uh, how would you describe for the people who aren't tasting this? what your mixed culture, what kind of beer produces? Sure, absolutely. Our mixed culture tends to elicit a pretty strong stone fruit quality. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think um, I'm really happy with that too, just because we are uh, the peach state down here in Georgia. But I think it's a nice reflection of who we are. And that's really the only mixed culture we use for that reason, just to be able to understand how it works and to define our flavor by our organisms that we work with. That beer particularly uh, has that stone fruit quality. I think it has a pretty big French oak presence as well, even though, I mean, these are, are used French oak barrels that we're getting from a few different sources for that beer, but it definitely has the woodiness to it. Um, it's got a softness that comes along with that French oak. I think there is a almost, I don't want to say vanilla just because that's so such a strong flavor descriptor, but it's got a creaminess about it and then a pretty light acidity light i don't know it's medium medium plus maybe it uh, depends on what your spectrum is but we we try to focus on not super strong acid profiles um so that if you if you wanted to you can either share this beer with a friend or or drink it yourself then to kind of be able to do both it does kind of straddle that line of complex sipping whatever that you share with a friend or multiple friends or mm -hmm. something you could just uh, nurse through an evening like many times in my life i wish scott wasn't here so i could drink it all by myself <laughs> almost <laughs> that's your ex wish almost exclusively boy i no, wish scott I, wasn't here I yeah so we bottled that one back in april i think of 2017 if i remember correctly uh, i should look at my notes but mm -hmm. um so it's been bottled for a little over a year and we bottle conditioned and so i don't think we released that actually until last november we'll wait about six months or so just to make sure the beer is where we want it. And then, frankly, that beer has been just getting better uh, with time. So it's, it's pretty exciting. That's very good right now. And I, I totally agree with your descriptors of the stone fruit. You know, I already got a big peach component before you kind of start talking about Georgia, which I just learned they have some peaches there, I guess. Georgia does? Yeah, that I guess. That sounds wrong. I don't know. I think you're thinking I of Florida. California? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> don't want to start a turf war. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the mouthfeel part is right on too, because that, that really reinforces the peach maybe more than an apricot or a nectarine. I, I get this like that French oak vanilla thing, not strongly a vanilla, more of a mouthfeel, like a that I think you described it as creamy. It's like a little bit of a thicker mouthfeel. Very, very good beer, I would say. Thank you. Yeah, I always want to make beers that taste good and have balance and structure with the flavor they present and then also feel good to drink. It's the unspoken sensory key, I think, to uh, beer that's becoming more and more prevalent for you know better or worse. People are talking about mouthfeel a whole lot more. But I think just making that so if a... But I always tell my our staff, if a beer feels good, uh, kind of like you putting your head down on a nice down pillow, um, you'll want to drink more of it, even if it, you know, it just adds to tasting good as well. Did this beer get ropey at some point in the process? No, um, we actually don't see that happen uh, with our beers. Never had a ropey beer. Hmm. I, I'm asking because uh, I was wondering if the, the mouthfeel thing you're mentioning, Jay, has anything to do with that happening and then it cleaning itself up. Mm-hmm. Correct me if this is wrong. My understanding is that some of the mouthfeel thing that you're describing, that creaminess or whatever, can come from that, right? Ropiness and then the ropiness going away, or is that not correct? Just coming into it and getting out of it, I think you could see that. But at the same time, this, to me, is, is a ways away from that. We... We do experience that at the Rare Barrel, not very consistently, but when it happens, it's obvious. And we can even sometimes see it coming a little bit where you just even pour out a beer that's in bottle conditioning and swirl it around your glass. And just by the way the bubbles move around, you're like, oh, what's it's sick? <laughs> what's going on in here? And then uh, it, even though it's not that ropey yet, hmm. it then will become ropey. Interesting. Yeah, Have so. you pinpointed like what is doing? It happens only sometimes and you don't really know why? I, I don't. I don't know why. Yeah. Which is theories? probably bad for me to say, but <laughs> you know. No, no theories even. No. I mean, I think it's more related to Pediococcus than Lactobacillus. And, you know, I know that Brett helps with that. That's why there's Brett in all of our beers, even though sometimes there's no Britannomyces characteristic. Yeah, that you would have no idea. No wood, no Brett. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. But, I, you know, speaking of bottling, not to get off ropiness too much, but uh, Blake, I'm curious how you guys go about your your packaging and, and what challenges you may run into on that. And quickly, Blake, uh, before you do, should we do one more beer uh, in this show before we wrap it? Uh, if you got time, I think it makes sense to try Arcadiana next to it because the okay. only difference between those two or the big difference, I think, is hops. And so you can kind of see how they play into Arcadiana. Okay, so then Let's I'll go grab it. that while you answer Stout that. I'll grab that yep. and uh, walk us through how you know you spend all this time aging these beers with your mixed culture. They taste good in the barrel then how how the heck do you get them into the bottle from there? I'm actually bottling tomorrow. So uh, we uh, bring the barrels out of our barrel room. We'll pump them into a stainless tank to receive, uh, depending on the beer or if there's an addition. You know, we can do an addition at that point, you know, like fruit or whatever. Well, generally now we try to give it some time in a uh, first vessel because uh, – Depending on the beer, most of our stuff that's gone into wood at this point, there's usually a fair amount of sediment at the bottom of the bottle or barrel. And we've had other beers give us issues uh, from that sediment. And we had to, like, we had to disgorge a beer just to get rid of some sediment one time. Huh. Um, 
but we put it into a tank and I'll let it sit in there for a few days just to drop out a little bit. I'll drop that at the bottom of the tank, I'll pump it over to uh, our bright tank for packaging and it's all still at that point and I'll add uh, wine yeast and add sugar and we'll go into a uh, six head gravity still filler, put in the bottles, put them on their side, put them in cages, and let them sit at 72 degrees for three months kind of is our minimum where we'll do checks during that time. We have a pretty robust lab department at this point. So we'll do checks at 24 hours, 48 hours, one week, two weeks, uh, one month and two months and three months. And uh, starting at one month, we'll do sensory kind of just informal analysis at that point. Uh, leading up to that, it's just running it through like a an alkalizer um, to get an idea if fermentation is happening. We'll do cell counts as well for the first week, uh, just to make sure that everything looks good in the bottle, and you know we can start troubleshooting if we need to. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So then after that, we'll I'll kind of start tasting them and see how they are, and kind of just be like, yeah, there's it's good to go or no. There's you know diacetyl or THP. We usually go through a phase of both of those as we bottle. And then once I feel like it's getting to a pretty good spot, I'll send it through panel. Our staff will taste it. And then um, if there's any pings for our flavors at that point, you'll kind of either evaluate or wait or whatever. And then once the trajectory of not just clear from off flavors, but tastes great, and I think it's all kind of coming to its own, then we'll schedule a release date. There's a long pause there because I'm quite distracted by this Arcadiana that we just opened. It's so it's, interesting. It's such a such a different beer. It's I love this beer. It's so good. It's we, this is what we've been working on a lot at the Rare Barrel, which is incorporating hops into tart saisons, and this is super super good. But be, before we dive into that, I have just a couple of follow up follow up questions while I was still paying attention to you, Blake. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned you, you age on the side and you age at 72 degrees. So I'll throw two questions at you. Uh, reasoning behind aging on the side and then you age at 72, does that mean you have some form of temperature control for those bottles? Yeah. So the side thing, we started doing that just because of hearsay or whatever. I was like, the Belgians do it. It's good enough for me. You know, thought process is that there's more surface area for the yeast. If it does happen to flock out during that bottle conditioning time, it's exposed a little bit more. Uh, there's more uh, surface area of the air in the bottle to the liquid. So hopefully all that oxygen is being consumed and our yeast is happy and able to go to town. We've actually done triangle tests on on that, um, and I think we could probably go down that road a little bit more, but we did a triangle test on side condition versus upright, and we didn't find any statistical significant evidence between the difference, but those who could tell the difference generally supported that they liked the flavors better from the side. The, they said they were maybe either smoother or had... Uh, kind of a softer mouthfeel, or they thought that the yeast character was a little bit better, um, and it wasn't so harsh on the acid. But like I said, you know, that wasn't really statistically significant, but it was enough for I didn't want to change anything, so we'll keep doing it on the side. And then 72, we actually have an office um, space 
for a lot of our administration uh, team. So uh, everyone from like our, our finance department to uh, marketing and whatnot, um, even though our offices got shifted around, but I've claimed about half of that space for bottle conditioning at this point, and they all like it to be warm. So we keep it about 72 to 74 year round in there, which is nice, although uh, I'm needing to build out some more space because we're running out of space for those. Was there a point where you didn't age in that space or were kind of subject to the elements a little bit more and have you seen a difference if so? We used to age, that's a good question. I never really thought back that far. We used to age um, some in our barrel space, which is always like 65. I don't know if I'd be able to say conclusively if there was a big difference. I don't think we've ever, or I'll say this, we've always tried to avoid if it was gonna be any other temperature than in the 70s. Uh, we, we may have put them on shoulder seasons, we may just put them in our warehouse where it's just like, okay, it's gonna be ambient about 70 degrees until we can fit it into a controlled space. Uh, but summertime here, man, our, our brewery, we don't have HEAC at our main brewery area, so it's it's 100 degrees. And was like, I can't can't do that. That's too risky. And then the walk-in's 35, so kind of limited on where it can go. So we've always tried to make it work. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious because we've you know pretty temperate climate in Berkeley, and ours is always at ambient. I'm just always curious that you know what the the cost benefit of having that temperature controlled room would be. Does it get a little cooler here in the winter, and maybe we see a little more lag on our bottle conditioning, but. It's, it is quite an expense to build out, so I'm always curious if people have a, have a strong recommendation. But, I, I mean, the clear recommendation against 100 degrees Fahrenheit is, that's probably unanimous. That, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's the big kicker. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, we've got Arcadiana here now. Um, what's the story behind this delicious, delicious beer? And uh, also, don't enter this one. <laughs> we actually... Did we, I think we did enter this in World Beer Cup, but to give you the story behind this beer, originally our first year open, this was a seasonal beer for us, not with the mixed firm component of it. It was just a clean Saison. It was dry hops, uh, draft only, and um, we made a fair bit of it, and that was our, I mean, we we. we used to think that first year we brewed like 800 or 1,000 barrels, and even in our like first four months, I think our distributors like, no, we don't, we don't want any more from you right now, uh, which is really comical for us now because we can never make enough beer. I took some of the extra beer from that, and I was like, you know what, we need to make a house mix culture. Uh, so I took some of the Arcadiana, and I took a couple of different barrel samples that I really liked, and I propped them up and then pitched them into half barrels of, that was not gassed of the Arcadiana um, post-fermentation, though. And then ended up blending those into a bottle and doing some other things to basically compose our, our house mix culture along with some other local sources. And then those bottles, I bottled them all up and then decanted them and then propped that up. And that was kind of the inception of our of our house mix culture. And that was really never designed to be drank. But then after a few months in the bottle, I was like, man, this tastes really good. And I liked it a lot better. Uh, and that was all stainless, obviously, but that was just a lot better option, I thought, for the in the clean version and ended up giving that to our those bottles to our staff for a holiday party that year and just called it staff beer and then about a few months later everyone was still talking about it we're like you know we should make this and throw it in the wood and give it some some time to really become something so the beer is a saison fermented in stainless steel and then we dry hop it just kind of a normal like ipa dry hop regime not necessarily quantities but 
time, you know, we're dry hopping after uh, terminal gravity. It's dry hop with crystal and lemon drop hops, and then we throw it into wood and add our uh, mixed culture to it, and then waited a year, and this was bottled back in November of last year, and we're releasing it uh, next month, um, July 21st. There was no additional hops added after the post-primary stainless? No, this is all from then, and so... Fuck you. <laughs> since, since uh, you know, like, I've sat, sat through a lot of the uh, hop stuff that I've seen you at, I think, too, like CDC and whatnot, and, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how there's a biotransformation for IPAs, but I thought a couple of years ago, Shellhammer's lab at Oregon State was saying that in the amount of time that most IPAs are brewed and released and the amount of, you know, that enzyme glucocidase, it's, it's not really going to affect an IPA that much. But really, I think the opportunity there is for mixed fermentation beers. It's like, you know, let's add some hops in there and then let it go hang out for a year. Um, and then we'll get all sorts of flavors that I think can be unique to this um, and unique to the hops. So, you know, there's a slight difference in the grist of Arcadiana and Golden Door. I wouldn't say it's largely, you know, a massive difference, but there certainly is a, like, there's not really any hops at all except for, like, Styrian Golding for a bittering charge in Golden Door. Uh, but Arcadiana, you know, it's it's pretty heavily hopped in both the Whirlpool and Dry Hopped and then aged in oak. And, you know, having it in front of you, you can tell there's a, there's a pretty big difference in those beers, and it's, it's fun to be able to think about how you can play around with hops over time. Oh, yeah, and I, I, I get this... Thing that I get a lot in the beers we're trying to make like this at the Rare Barrel, which is kind of like a, a goozy grape must kind of thing going on. And it's just, it's, it's so good. There will not be an excess of it this time. No distributor will be like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I doubt that. Yeah, this one will mainly be a, a tasting room only release. Uh, now we've moved to the bottled format. Yeah, come on out. We've also got Golden Door available in our tasting room. Um, most of our bottles that we do, we just keep them in our tasting room or we'll send them to a few places that will serve them for on-site on premise and things like that. But Arcadiana has been one that I'm really excited to see how it goes, and it's one that we plan on continue to make. It's interesting. I, I like, I'm getting the same thing you are, and I, I like hearing it because it's more along those lines, as you've been mentioning, Jay, that you're getting more and more sort of gooziness mm -hmm. and lambicness mm -hmm. from American Sours these days, and this is sort of in that goozy category. Yeah, even without the aged hops, I think any hops in sour beers, I mean, it's one thing that to be, you know, self-critical, I would say that I ignored in the early days of what we were doing at the Rare Barrel. You know, we were more, more focused on driving flavor through fermentation, which was good. We made good beers. Um, but I think now bringing more hops into our process, we've driven just an unbelievable amount of new flavors to integrate into... I mean, just think of all the the fruity flavors you get from certain IPAs. Yeah. And then all the fruited sour beers you have. And now take the fruity hot flavors, age them for a year, have them transform into whole new things. And then how do those mix with different fruits? It, it's just like really exciting possibilities that are happening there. So... Um, I think this this beer is a great example of that. It so sure is. Good on you, Blake. Indeed. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I hit a point, I think it was probably a couple years ago, and I, I think a lot of us in the States did, where, you know, I I love, like, Dreyfantine and Goose. I think it's some of the best beer in the world. And 
after kind of tasting a lot and then making beer, you kind of go back to it and you're like, you know what? I was sure that was all Brett character, but you know what? That's just hoppy as hell. And so now, like, I mean, since we don't mix up our mix culture or use different sources, um, we're we're getting to like 30 to 35 BUs usually with just hop additions for our mixed fermentation beers. And then the addition of using either dry hops or aged hops or things like that. We're playing with all those things. And it's really this fun world of cool flavors that you can build on and do cool stuff with. And I guess uh, the beers will taste on the, the next show. There's one in particular that plays around with citrus fruit and hops. What a pro tease that was. Indeed. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, guys. <laughs> we do have to wrap up, but I need to, before we go, thank a couple of our sponsors, including, talking about fruity flavors, mm-hmm. Oregon Fruit Products. Mm. If you're not lucky enough to live in Georgia to get those peaches, you can get aseptic peach puree that's easy to use, convenient to store, no additives or artificial flavors. It's simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with us brewers to help us innovate. Check them out, fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit, they bring fruit to life. And our friends at Neshamity Creek. Oh, yeah who have won billions and millions and billions of awards and sent us their beer. That was wonderful. Thank you again. There's a three-time Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewer of the Year, two-time GABF Vienna Style Lager Medal winner, two bronzes for Smoke Lager, renovated tasting room, you know the deal, poundable lagers, that's what they have. And that's what they do. all the rest, free brewery tours on Saturdays, new second location opening. Around Y2K. Yeah, year 2000. <laughs> Check out. It's probably real now. Yeah. com. All right. All right, now, Scott. Well, thank you, Blake, so much for joining us. I think you're still, your mic's still hot right now, but that's okay. Thanks, Blake. <laughs> uh, thank you, Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. Safe travels to Bevo. Just going up to Portland. We'll all be soon. Thanks to all the sponsors, all the listeners for your questions and support. Until next time, stay sour. Like many times in my life, I wish Scott wasn't here so I could drink it all by myself.